All right. Well, desperate times call for desperate measures. Uh, and I am your desperate measure. Uh, reminds me of a time, I think I was in seventh grade when I went out for football the first time, and no one wanted to, uh, to play right guard. And so I saw that as an opportunity where I could start. And so I signed up. I, I jumped in there, and I can assure you I was the fastest right guard at about one or about one thirty-five six. I I could move along the line, but no. But sometimes we just have to fill in. We called uh, four different people uh, to do this, and uh, the lot finally fell to me. So, uh, but I uh, spent a, spent some time yesterday in preparation, and and uh, I really feel like uh, the Holy Spirit wants me to do this. So. Uh, let's pray before we get started. Uh, Father God, we just come before you and we just lift up this time to you and I pray that it is an offering and a sacrifice to you. Uh, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit speaks through me. I pray that your Holy Spirit is active in this body, uh, just changing the hearts and the minds of the people here. God, I just pray for your wisdom. I pray for your guidance, your your leadership during this time. Uh, I pray that your, uh, your word comes alive uh, and that your Holy Spirit animates it. Uh, we just need you. Uh, we need you always. Um, we need you to humble us and to uh, keep us focused. Uh, God, we just love you and, and we praise you for your ability to uh, work in our hearts and our lives and to change us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, God, and we need that more. We need that more today. We need that more right now. God, just to continue your cleansing work uh, by the blood of Christ. God, we pray that uh, the blood becomes a... Uh, a reality and something that we think on and meditate on each and every day, uh, not just on Sundays. Uh, God, that you would forgive us for that uh, sin, um, and that this time would just be a time of worship and praise, uh, and that your name would be glorified. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, we're going to park it in First uh, John uh, one one through uh, ten. Um, this is a text that. Uh, I have been looking at trying to memorize, not doing very well at it, but um, I think it's got a lot of meat in it, and uh, it kind of worked out great. I have a, a, a preaching uh, project that's due uh, next Monday, and my book is First John, so I thought I'd, I'd stick with this. <laughs> uh, so, um, all right, well, let's, I, I, I like to start with uh, doing a little bit of background work and trying to understand uh, what's going on behind the text before we get into it. Um, it's my understanding from what I studied that uh, these epistles, these letters, um, were basically written um, probably around 85 to 100 A.D. Uh, and uh, the location here, that uh, the intended audience was the church in Ephesus. It appears that John probably moved uh, from Palestine, John's a writer here, to to Ephesus uh, somewhere around uh, 66 and worked in that church. And he, that's where he wrote his, uh, uh, the fourth gospel, John, that we have. Uh, so these, uh, the author of John and the author of these letters is the same. Um, and so uh, heresy had infil- infiltrated the church, um, and John had responded with these three short letters. Uh, so so the, kind of the background, the purpose here is to combat false teaching. Uh, so if you could, let's, let's kind of look through. We're going to look actually... Um, in chapter 2 and 4 real quick, just to kind of see, to get an idea of what's going on. So these people who are uh, propagating this false gospel, these heretics, um, um, are considered antichrist, um, who have been a part of John's community, but now have separated from it. We see that in two eighteen through 19 children. It is the last hour, and just as you've heard, 
that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had, they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out, so that it would, would be shown that they are not all of us. Um, but apparently they still are in touch with members of John's community. Uh, since from John's perspective, uh, it appears that their intention here is to deceive the church. We see that in 2.26. Uh, these things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. Um, and so he also considers them to be false prophets, unable to f- confess that Christ has come in the flesh. We see that in 4, 1 through 3. Uh, Beloved, d- uh, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Uh, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. And last thing, and they have had some success in attracting people um, outside the church to their message, and we see that in 4, 5. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. Um, And so um, you have a group of people that has been disruptive in the community, they have probably started within the church, and then they've moved outside of the church, and they are trying their best to, to take members along with them as they go. Uh, there's some false teaching that's going on here, and the false teaching that is, is most likely is considered to be um, kind of the roots of Gnosticism. Uh, Gnosticism is probably not fully developed at this time, uh, late in the first century, but it, it will uh, manifest itself fully in the second century, but you have kind of the roots here, and, and the basic beliefs of Gnosticism, and this is really important for understanding First John, um, is that uh, the major human predicament is ignorance. Um, and so they stress salvation by this special type of knowledge. Um, they saw themselves as privileged individuals, uh, granted divine insight into their heavenly origin, and hoped at death to be released from the prison of their bodies and reunited with God in heaven. And so they affirmed this real sharp dualism in spirit and in matter. And so they saw everything that was spirit was good and everything that was matter was inherently evil. Uh, therefore, there's no, no way that anything divine could ever inherit flesh um, uh, or possibly become flesh. He only, um, in, in terms of Christ, he only appeared in the flesh. He only seemed to appear um, in the flesh uh, and then left before the crucifixion. And so this is their understanding of Christ. Um, and what follows here, since matter is evil and the body will be done away with, um, anyway, it really makes no difference how people live uh, or how people behave in their earthly lives. And so you can see, um, just based off that uh, description, how disruptive uh, this teaching can be, um, especially when you get to the point where you are denying the reality of the incarnation. Um, and when you do that, uh, you lose a whole lot. And so... Um, We'll, we'll start in verse 1. We'll work our way through 10, uh, just going verse by verse. Um, and so what we have here, is, and I'll, I'll just read it and then, and then comment. So uh, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Uh, so John here, um, I believe, is, is showing his authority. He's uh, making his claims uh, to the fact that he has been with Christ he has experienced Christ, he's known Christ, he's seen Christ, he's touched Christ, he's heard Christ. Um, he has um, been uh, with him. Uh, these four phrases, uh, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, and what we have looked at and touched with our hands, 
all these uh, kind of orbit around this, uh, the word of life, which is Christ. Um, and so John and, and his fellow co-workers, uh, he uses the, 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 the plural pronoun there of we, um, have been um, able to uh, experience Christ firsthand. Uh, they, they, they know Christ intimately, um, and um, they have walked with him, seen him, touched him, um, and been with him. And so, and then he says, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So it's very clear. Um, there was no mistaking who Christ was. This, this verb, manifestation, to manifest, it just be, means to become increasingly clear, to become absolutely evident that there's no mistaking uh, what's going on here. Um, and we have seen uh, and testify and, and proclaim to you the eternal life. Uh, he calls him uh, the eternal life here, and, and this is um, absolutely um, essential uh, to, the, to the Christian faith. Uh, the preexistence of Christ is an absolute unbendable foundational truth in Christianity. And once we break away from the eternality of Christ, we lose any hope that he is our salvation. Uh, um, we lose the divinity of Christ and the essential truth in the Christian faith, and that is that God and man coexisted um, in perfect unity, which ultimately led to the salvation of uh, who knows how many. Uh, so Gnostics wanted to make this, um, this salvation uh, a salvation by knowledge and not by Christ's atoning sacrifice. Um, if it was by knowledge and not the sacrifice of Christ, uh, then obviously who cares what they did in the flesh? Um, um, who cares how they lived? Uh, I think the, the application uh, of, of just this verse to us is, um, is obvious. I think uh, we should... Um, take heed uh, in case we don't fall here. And sometimes the temptation we have is to make our, our own salvation somewhat of a salvation of knowledge and just not total dependence upon the sacrificial work of Christ. And we can say that we prayed the prayer or, or we remember when we were baptized and then go on living how we want um, and, or any way you want to. And that's, that's not dependence upon Christ uh, as your salvation. It's dependence upon knowledge or recollection of a certain event in your life. Uh, and so... Um, John here was just saying very clearly like, that he is, uh, he's seen the Christ, the life, was, the life of Christ was manifested, it was made real to him, um, and he's proclaiming to them the eternal life. Uh, what we have seen and heard in verse 3 and 4, we proclaim to you also that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. John wants them to know the real truth, Knowledge of who Christ really is, is God incarnate and a true understanding of his sacrificial death, not some false understanding of a special knowledge, can lead to fellowship with other believers and more importantly with God and the Father and his Son Jesus, God the Father and his Son Jesus. Um, So, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship was with the Father, I'm just reading this over again, uh, and with his Son Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Uh, Sharing this information um, with the churches at Ephesus was what really brought joy to John's life. This is what completed his joy. Um, This is what um, allowed him um, to, uh, again, to experience experience great joy. And I I just kind of have to ask the question, is this reflected in your life? When when you have the opportunity to share Christ with others, does this bring you great joy? or does it bring you despair? Does it bring you a time of, of nervousness or anxiety? 
Um, one of the privileges of being a Christian is, is to take part in God's work of us ushering uh, others into fellowship with himself. Um, so I, I encourage you to get out there and, and share the gospel. Um, one of the things that we've had to do uh, for our class, I've had a class, it's called Supervised Ministry, and we've, uh, we've been doing this for about five or six weeks. And a friend of mine and I, we go out um, on Friday mornings, uh, walking around downtown Baton Rouge and just sharing the gospel. Um, and it has been a very uh, interesting experience, um, but a very eye-opening one, eye-opening one as well. It really uh, causes you to drive, it drives you back to the text. It drives you back to um, just understanding basically what you believe and being able to, to share that uh, clearly with others. There are so many lost people uh, in Baton Rouge. Uh, there are so many people that need to hear the message of Christ, and it should be our joy to share that message with them. It shouldn't be something that we bottle up or something that we are afraid to share, but it should be our joy. Um, I can't, I, I don't know the exact number of the people that we've shared with, but uh, I, I think maybe two or three have known the Lord. Um, and so I would, I would want to say maybe, maybe 30 or 40 people. Um, so right there you're looking at, what, a, a 5% um, uh, of the people that know the Lord. Uh, so it's just... Uh, it's just something that, that um, as we reflect on this text and, and we just, and just bring it out again, uh, these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Uh, he desperately wants uh, these people in his body, in his fellowship, these people that are under attack, these people that, that may not really know um, the reality of Christ incarnate. He wants them to know the truth um, because he sees his, his body under attack um, and he knows that they need to hear it. Um, and so, um, again, I just encourage you, get out there and share the gospel. It won't, it won't kill you. Uh, we haven't had anybody stone us or, or, or get mad at us um, or, or do anything. It may kill you, um, depending on where you're at. But, I mean, I, I see you have about an 80% chance of it not killing you, which is pretty, that's pretty good. It's pretty good odds. And so, um, and then if it does kill you, great. You know, good. That's awesome. You get to be with the Lord. And so it's a win-win. Um, so, um, again, um, the question I pose, but shouldn't this bring us joy? Just the opportunity to possibly help God in ushering someone else into eternal life, to really give another person the truth, the fact that God did come in the flesh to save his creation. He really did die on the cross for your sins. This isn't just some myth or some philosophy that has come and gone uh, over the past two millennium. This is the truth. Uh, so share the gospel so that your joy may be made complete. Um, this is the message we have heard from him. This is verse 5, and, and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Um, and so this is the message we have heard from him. Him here is Christ. This is the message that, that the apostles have heard from Christ himself, and that, that God is light. Uh, here's the core message that Christ has delivered to his disciples. God is light. What does this mean, God is light? Um, and here I'm going to read a quote from uh, a commentary that I studied uh, through this. So pay attention, and it might be kind of long. Um, Fundamentally, John's thought was derived from the Old Testament. Light was an obvious symbol for God, especially since, on occasion, God revealed himself in fire and light. Um, God could be said to be clothed in in light and glory. We see this in Psalms 104.2, and hence, too bright for man to behold. Uh, We see that in 1 Timothy 6.16. Specifically, two notions became associated with God as light. One was that of revelation and salvation. Uh, we see that in Psalm 27.1 and 36.9. Um, 
Light provides illumination in dark places and is an appropriate symbol for the way in which God reveals himself to men to show them how to live. The other notion is that of holiness. Light symbolizes the flawless perfection of God. The comparison of good and evil with light and darkness is a familiar one, and it was current in the ancient world, both in Jewish thought and in Gnosticism. John takes up this symbolism when he announces his basic thought, God is light. He immediately adds, and in him there is no darkness at all. The contrast between God and darkness is expressed as strongly as possible. The point being that living in the darkness is incompatible with fellowship with God. This this makes it clear that John is thinking of light and darkness predominantly in ethical terms. It is his way of saying God is good and evil can have no place beside him. And so he says in verse 6, If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So this goes back to uh, to to um, this idea that, um, that that these Gnostics had, uh, since matter is evil and, and the body is going to eventually be done away with, that it does not matter at all uh, what we do in the flesh. And so John is is saying that those individuals who claim to have this fellowship with God through this special knowledge, um, instead of um, instead of um, recognizing that that uh, it's Christ's blood that uh, that provides salvation. Uh, and they were openly living in sin. They had no real fellowship with God. Uh, they were to be considered liars um, because they do not practice the truth. And this is the first of uh, three, like, if we say seeings. If you look at verse 6 and verse 8 and verse 9, or verse 10, um, he begins these sentences with, if we say that, if we say that, if we say that. Um, and uh, the only thing I can uh, think of that is that most likely these were different actions or things that, that um, this disruptive body was was bringing up, they were saying these were these were statements that they were making to um, uh, to to people within the body. They're saying that they they know God, they have fellowship with Him. They're saying that they they have no sin, and they were saying that they have not sinned. Um, and so John is really giving them clear instruction um, as he refutes these three things about how to point out these false teachers who are trying to disrupt the faith community. Um, how is, this applicable, how is this applicable to us? If we say that we have fellowship with God, but in our own lives, in our own minds, in our own hearts, uh, we are walking in the darkness, uh, then aren't we lying to ourselves? And so I think it's something that, uh, that we should definitely um, use this verse to evaluate um, the authenticity uh, of our statement about, how, um, if we're, about whether or not we have fellowship with God. We may say that, we may, we may claim that, we may... Um, tell others that, uh, but if we are, are walking in darkness, if we are continually walking in sin, uh, we are not in fellowship with the Father. Uh, we are lying, and we do not practice the truth. So his, his statements here is, is very um, forward and very clear. Um, but then he says in verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So how do we walk in the light? John lays this out in his first gospel. I'm going to ask you to turn to John, John 1. Um, John lays this out for us uh, very clearly, uh, just as he already had. Um, John wrote this, this gospel. It was circulated in, in the churches of Ephesus. Um, and then, again, this letter was to come back and, and to refute the heresies that had grown up around it. And so uh, this is instruction that they, prob- they already had, uh, I'm assuming. Um, and so how do we walk in the light? Um, John has already laid this out very clearly for us. And so he taught his congregation that Christ is the true light. Uh, Let's look at John 1. Um, 
1 through 9. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into be, to being through him. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. And so we see here, uh, specifically in verses 4 through 9, he says that Christ is the light of men. He says that Christ shines in the darkness. And he says that Christ came to enlighten every man, and those that receive him in faith are made children of God. We see that in verse uh, 12. Uh, but as many received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Uh, and so um, we have these three things. The light of men, he shines in the darkness, and he came to enlighten every man, and that those that receive him in faith are made children of God. Uh, now turn to John 12, uh, 35. Um, So, uh, nearing the very end of his ministry, uh, Jesus says this, For a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of the light. Uh, We know that we can be in the light, walking in the light, through belief in the words and deeds of Christ. Uh, Jesus is calling them into fellowship with himself through belief. He is calling them to walk in the light, to look at the light, uh, and he is, as he is clearly revealing who God is and what he demands of his creation. There's no difference in Jesus' message than there is now. Uh, he's calling us to look at him, to believe in him, to learn from him who God is and how his blood cleanses us from all sin. There's no special knowledge uh, that we can obtain that will hide our sinfulness. There's nothing that we can study or know that will make us clean. The only thing that will cleanse us from the sin is the blood of Christ. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is what he says in verse 7. Uh, and so this is just another direct refutation, uh, refuting of, of this Gnostic gospel, um, or the beginning of it. Um, this whole idea that, um, again, that basically that, that when Christ came, he, um, he delivered a special knowledge to his disciples. And then once he had delivered this knowledge over to, the, to his people, he left. Um, and so there was really... No Christ, no divinity, no, no divine being um, in the flesh at the time of the crucifixion. Uh, and so John is saying, look, um, we're, we're, we can't walk in the light as he himself in the light. We can't have fellowship with one another. We can't have fellowship with God. We can't have fellowship with Christ um, unless the actual blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Uh, there is no special knowledge that we can obtain. There is nothing that we can, that we can possess on our own um, that will give us salvation. And so it says um, very clearly, um, again, the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. And so you can't refute sin. You can't minimize sin. You can't um, say that you do not have sin. And so in verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, uh, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Uh, Another one of these, if we say, sayings. Uh, This is a tragic denial of the reality of sin. Um, And so... Um, if the body does not matter, if it doesn't matter what we do during this lifetime, if we can just say that it's going gonna, it's gonna to perish at the end anyways and nothing, nothing really comes of it, then, then what is sin anyway? Um, and so 
if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Uh, I think it's really easy for us to minimize um, our sins. I think it's really easy for us in a way uh, to convince ourselves that we have not sinned, um, that we don't, that maybe our sin is not that big of a deal. Um, but once we enter into the light, once we're walking in the light, uh, having fellowship with God the Father and his Son, uh, as well as other believers, we will come face to face with our sins. Um, and so at this point, we can either choose to go back in the darkness, uh, trusting in the trappings of our mind, which, which these Gnostics were doing or these, these, uh, these heretics were doing. Uh, they're trusting in the lies of Satan that, that tell us that we have not sinned and we are without sin and we can go uh, the, other right, the other route, which is confession. And so we have two options when we're faced uh, with our sin. When we are, when we are walking in the light, uh, as he is himself in the light, we are, we are confronted by Christ. Uh, our sin becomes a reality. Um, and we have, we have two options. We can, we can retreat to the darkness. Uh, we can minimize it. Um, or we can confess it. And this is what he says in verse 9. Um, he's giving this, this option, the real option, other than this, this fake uh, option of, of having this special kind of knowledge that was supposed to cleanse them. He was trying to correct their beliefs. He was trying to give them the real option, what they were really supposed to do. And so if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't deny your sinfulness. Don't minimize it. Don't rationalize it. Don't put it aside and wait to, do with it later. wait to deal with it later. Don't forget about it. Don't let it take hold of your mind and your heart. Don't let it become so big of a problem. Uh, that it destroys your lives and hurts others in the process. Uh, when we sin, uh, naturally, um, it's going to affect someone else. Um, naturally, that someone else is going to be hurt by our sin. Someone else is going to experience the reality of our sin. Um, and eventually, we know that someone had to die for our sin. Um, no matter what, when we sin... It's going to affect other people. It's going to affect our fellowship with God. It's going to break that fellowship. It's going to affect our fellowship with our faith community, our body. Um, and so we have one option if we are to remain in the light, and that is to confess. And the beautiful thing is, is that he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't separate the cleansing from the blood. Look in verse 7. The blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. Although our confession is powerful and our confession is desired, it cannot be separated from the blood. There's no magical incantation and there's no words that we can say or knowledge that we can have that will uh, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The only thing that can cleanse us from unrighteousness is the blood of Christ. It is the only thing. Um, And so... I encourage you, urge you, um, if there is sin in your life that you are dealing with and that you are, um, that God is confronting you with um, and that God is, um, and that you can see is, is, is debilitating you and, and hurting you and hurting others around you, confess it. It, it. it may cause hurt. It may cause temporary hurt. But we know that once you confess that sin, he is faithful to forgive you of your sin and he is faithful to cleanse you from that unrighteousness. The cleansing us from all unrighteousness is something I don't know if we really, if we really focus on. We've heard this verse a thousand times. Um, but do we realize that, yes, we have forgiveness and that's great, but we have cleansing. It's, it's removal. Um, the unrighteousness begins to, to be uh, cleansed from us. 
cleansed by his blood and only by his blood. Um, We know that confession is for two things. Uh, Confession is for salvation uh, and continuation and fellowship with God and other believers. Romans 10, 9 and 10, what does it say? We've heard this verse a thousand times as well. Think that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in in salvation. With this type of confession, we have salvation. We have forgiveness of sins. We have the beginning of this fellowship with God the Father and God the Son. We have the begin- this is the beginning of our fellowship with the believers, with the body of believers. Uh, but if we have forgiveness of sin here, why is it important that we take part in another form of confession, uh, which is confession of sins, is what we've seen. And I think it's clear from what I've already said is that, that this type of confession allows continuation uh, in fellowship with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, this kind of, uh, of, of confession is essential um, if we are to remain uh, in fellowship with our family members, uh, with our spouses, uh, with, our, uh, with, our, with our fellow brothers and sisters, and with our God. Uh, and so, uh, in, la- in, in, in verse 8, you know, he goes on to say, um, excuse me, verse, um, verse 10, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Again, it's another one of these if we sayings. Uh, they're saying that they have not sinned. They're saying that they have no sin. They're saying that they have fellowship with God, and they walk in the darkness. Uh, but it becomes very obvious that uh, um, if we're going to say these things, if we're going to minimize our sin, if we're going to uh, refuse confessing of our sin, if we're going to say that we have no sin um, and shy away from that confessional aspect, we are liars. Um, and his word is not in us. Uh, the truth is not in us. We do not have fellowship with the Father uh, because we can't. Uh, and so, and finally, and, and um, I'm going to read the next two, the next two verses. My little children, I am writing these things uh, to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the whole world. The sacrifice of Christ is the only acceptable sacrifice that God would accept. Um, it is the only sacrifice uh, that could possibly uh, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, it is in his blood alone, as we have already sung today, uh, that we have uh, forgiveness, that we have cleansing, that we have peace, uh, that we have restoration. Uh, and so, uh, ultimately, uh, my encouragement uh, to you uh, from this message is confession. Uh, my encouragement um, to you is to uh, take the time um, to come before the Lord uh, this week, today, as soon as possible. Uh, confess your sins. Uh, experience forgiveness, but more importantly, experience the cleansing, the cleansing of all unrighteousness. And we have that uh, so um, prevalent in our lives and in our hearts uh, we all struggle with unrighteousness. We all struggle with sin. Um, but we have a fantastic, a beautiful promise in First John that if we confess our sins, um, he is faithful to forgive us uh, and to cleanse us uh, from these sins. And so um, during this time, I'm going to ask Stephanie to come back up. Um, and I just want us to take a moment again uh, to reflect, uh, to spend time in confession, uh, to spend time... 
um, coming before the Lord and uh, just asking him uh, to search our hearts um, and then uh, to confess our sins, whatever he brings to mind. Uh, So Stephanie, if you could just lead us uh, in a song, uh, and I would ask you guys just to bow your heads and spend some time in confession.